Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Jeff is bringing you a teaching, so head over to crosswalkphoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Jeff. We're in Misquoted, God Helps Those Who Help Themselves. Now, this is an interesting one, and I'm going to do something revolutionary and shocking to anyone who has been here for a while. So are you ready? Buckle your seatbelts. We're going to do a fill-in right away. You ready? Do you get your pen out? This never happens in my sermons. The first fill-in usually comes about a half an hour into the message, and then I'm racing to the end. All right, we're doing a fill-in, the very first thing here. The Barna Research Institute did some research, and they asked the question, who believes that this is true. God helps those who help themselves, that this is a true statement. And, and actually, uh, they even asked some other questions about, can you find this in the Bible? But this is, do you agree with this statement? Here are your fill-ins. 53% of the American public agree strongly with this statement. This is true. God helps those who help themselves. 53, more than half of Americans agree and agree strongly. of Christians, Christ followers who would call themselves born again, 68% of them agree with it. And 81% of people who call call themselves Christians, Christ followers, but who don't necessarily use the terminology of born again, 81% of them agree with this statement, God helps those who help themselves. I don't know what you think about it. Would you agree with it? And this is one of those things where I, I think it's going to be a fun and interesting journey to go through this. First of all, this, this is deeply embedded in our culture. I don't know if you realize this, but most people in, in America have, have this thought. Frontier days. Do you remember the, the statement of the frontier guys? Trust God and keep your powder dry, right? So that was a version of this. Most people attribute this this exact wording to Benjamin Franklin, which means that one of the founders of our nation was fond of saying this, and uh, they say that this language, this thought started with Benjamin Franklin in the 1700s. And it's true that you can find it in his almanac. He, he put it in there. But it is not true that he started this, this wording. Almost, well, more than 100 years before Benjamin Franklin, there was a, there was a different guy from England. His name is Algernon Sidney. And in the 1600s, the early 1600s, he crafted this. And uh, what we've come to understand is that Benjamin Franklin simply plagiarized Algernon Sidney for the Republican convention, and that's how he got to be, okay, no one's laughing at that. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of Republicans, okay. <laughs> Benjamin Franklin was not the first to say this. In fact... Algernon Sidney was really not the first to to put this into our culture. You can go back, and you can even find it in other cultures. For for example, you can find it in Islam. People say that the, the 
prophet Muhammad, there's a tale told about him, about how he encountered uh, a Bedouin traveler who left his camel untied. And the prophet Muhammad, according, according to Islamic tradition, uh, came up to this Bedouin traveler and said, why are you, why are you leaving your, your camel untied? And the traveler turned around and looked at him and he said, well, I, I trust God. And Muhammad turned back to him and said, tie up your camel and trust God. That's a version of God helps those who help themselves. And in fact, you can go back in history all the way to the time of Christ and beyond to 400 BC, and you can find Greek poets and playwrights who put this thought into their place. So my point is being in our culture, which is built on this whole Western civilization, you can go back to the ancient Greeks and Romans for this idea uh, for people believing that God helps those who help themselves. In fact, it's so embedded in our culture that Jay Leno, anybody remember him? He did one of his jaywalking episodes, and he went around and asked people, can you name one of the Ten Commandments? Ten Commandments in the Bible. Do you know what the number one response to the question, name one of the Ten Commandments, what it was? God helps those who who help themselves. That was the number one response. That's how, how firmly people in our culture believe it. Here's the deal. You will not find this anywhere in the Bible. This is not a biblical statement. By that, I don't mean that there's no truth to it because you can find certain things which we're going to talk about in a moment that would indicate that there is some truth to it, but we're also going to see today that there's a great amount of falsehood to it as well. So there's an aspect of it that's true and there's part of it that's false and that's why I love this series because as we've been going through this series, these are the kind of statements we've been talking about. Statements that in and of themselves might be built somewhat on truth, but yet when you finally analyze them all the way, it can be dangerous to take it too far. And this is one of those, God helps those who help themselves. And we want to talk about that, and here's why we want to talk about that. First of all, we're, we're talking about where we build our lives. And the Bible makes an interesting claim. It says that if we believe the truth, the truth will set us free. Jesus says at the end of his Sermon on the Mount that if we build our lives both in belief and practice on the word of God and on his promises, we'll build a solid foundation for our lives. So it's important for us to know Not only can we find this as a verse in the Bible, but also, is it true according to the Bible? Because what we believe is where we build our lives. I'm going to say that again. What we believe is where we build our lives. That's the first reason we have to understand whether whether or not this is true. Secondly, this statement is important because it comes to the point of understanding how we frame up our relationship with God. And the best way I can illustrate that is to say, do we believe, in other words, that 
We can only have a relationship to God if we take the first step. If we help ourselves, then God will help us out and, and, and give us a relationship with him. Do we believe that we have to love him first, believe him first, that we are the first mover, or do we frame up our relationship with God the other way, that God is the first mover? That, that God takes the first step, that it's God's power and God's strength and God's energy that develops the relationship that you and I have with God. What do we believe about that? And then thirdly, coming off of that, here's the third reason why it's important to understand this. If we don't understand it correctly, we're going to struggle with sharing Christ with others. Because if we don't understand how a relationship with Jesus Christ and with, with God through Jesus Christ develops, then we're going to be telling the people that we reach out to with the gospel something that is going to be misleading. But if we do understand how that relationship works, we can truly help people move along in that relationship to God. So that's why this is so important. I'm going to start with telling you how this statement is sometimes true. So we'll write that down. How is this statement sometimes true? And in order for us to really get how this statement is sometimes true, we have to start by laying a foundation. And, and we have to understand five important truths that the Bible tells us about our relationship with God and how that works. So five important truths, I'm going to go through those. Number one, God created me with my abilities and talents. We are not here because we chose to be here. We are not here because we made ourselves. We are here simply, and this world that sustains and helps us thrive is here because there is a creator, God, who made all this and put us here. I want you to write down to this next, next to this first statement, Psalm 139. It's one of the most beautiful explanations in the Bible. Very poetic. You know, uh, you may or may not know that the Psalms are hymns or, or songs or poems. And, and this just so beautifully lays out how God created us to be unique and special in his sight. This is a beautiful act according to Psalm 139 of God's grace, that he made me with my talents and abilities and, and my individual purpose in life and made you with the same. Number two, when we as mankind became separated from God by sin after the sin of Adam and Eve, God stepped in to rescue us by sending his son, Jesus Christ. Otherwise, as the Bible uh, paints it, we were doomed without Christ stepping in. We were lost. We were condemned. We were in deep, deep trouble. But God, by his grace, sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross and to live a perfect life so that he could be our substitute and rescue us from sin and its consequences. Number three, I'm still lost, even if all of number one and two have happened, if according to the Bible, I don't connect with God by faith. And, and this is a lot of what we're going to be talking about, and I'm going to give you a foreshadowing here by telling you that you cannot 
the Bible tells us, tells us, believe in God by your own strength. You are not the first mover. You are not the first step forward, even when it comes to trusting God. God is the first step forward. He sends his Holy Spirit and he chooses you. John 15 says, John chapter 15, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing, Jesus says. And then later in that same chapter, he says, you did not choose me, I chose you. So number three, God changes me by sending his Holy Spirit. He changes my heart and he, and he makes my heart, which by nature is a, a dead, cold, uh, and, and even beyond that, a heart that's a, an enemy of God, by grace, he changes it so that I can accept Jesus as my Savior. It's all the Holy Spirit's power. Fourthly, God rewards me with earthly blessings. So here's, here's an interesting thing. Maybe you've done this. If you have children in children's ministry, and you know that in children's ministry, they take an offering, just like we do here. And you want your child to be able to participate in that offering. So you might open up your wallet, give them a dollar or two, send them on to children's ministry, and say, when the offering comes at children's ministry... I want you to put it in the plate. Now, who gave that offering? Did the child give the offering? Or did you give the offering? It's kind of an interesting question, isn't it? Well, this is, this is it's very similar with us. When I follow Christ, and when I become obedient to the will of God and to, to God's laws, it's, it's very much like that. Jesus is giving me that ability. He is making it possible for me to follow him. And then here's what's interesting. Have you ever done this? Your child comes back and you say, did you put that dollar in the offering plate? And the child says, yep, I, I put it in there, mom. I put it in there, dad. And you go, good job. That's awesome. On the way home, we're going to stop and we're going to get some ice cream. Have you ever done that? That's exactly what God does with us. When we use the gifts that he created us with, we use his redeeming power, and through the spirit, the Holy Spirit that he's granted us, we now obey him, and then he gives us these encouragements and blessings to say, awesome, you're on the right track. But in reality, it all came from God in the first place, but he still encourages us through earthly blessings that he gives us. And then finally, and this is a beautiful one, God promises me eternal blessings in heaven. And that's his grace. It's nothing that we've earned that Christ Jesus tells us right now he's preparing a heavenly mansion for us. And I like to think of it this way. We get so focused on this life. But when we have an eternal home in heaven, I want you to think of it this way. Billions of years from now, you're going to look back on this life of 70, 80 years that seemed so important to you and go, man, that was such a blip, so small, so incredibly tiny. And, and here I've had 
billions of years of enjoying God and his blessings and being with him and, and living in the eternal mansion that he built with him and having all of these heavenly adventures. That's what it's gonna be like. And we, we must never forget that God promises that to each one of us through faith in Jesus Christ. So do you see what's happening here? In a moment, I'm gonna give you verses where God says, if you do this, I will do this. But each one of these verses I want you to note are addressed to followers of Christ who before God says to to them, if you do this, I'll do this, he has already given them five layers of his grace. He's created them, he's rescued them, He's strengthened them by the power of the Holy Spirit and changed them. He's given them all these earthly encouragements and rewards. And then finally, he's given them eternal life through his promises. And now he says, as my child, after I've poured all this love on you, all this undeserved love we call grace, if you do this as a response to my first love for you, I will... I will encourage you in that, and I will reward you in that. And in that context, only in that context, can we say, you know what? God gives us encouragements sometimes to act and then says, I will help you if you help yourself in this. So take a look at Proverbs 19.8. The one who gets wisdom loves life. The one who cherishes understanding will soon prosper. In other words, God says to his children, you and me, if you make it your life's pursuit to get biblical wisdom, to understand God and your Savior Jesus and to dive into the Bible and meditate on it, you know what? You're going to get life from this book. You you make it your job to, to understand me and my relationship by studying this wisdom and you will get life and you will prosper. So in that sense, after five layers of grace, God says, yes, help yourself by studying this wisdom, and I will help you. Second one, Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Now, Jesus here, again, is talking to believers, and we know how this works because the same John who writes these words in his epistle, 1 John says, we love because he first loved us. We cannot even think about loving God until we first receive God's love in Christ. But now that we know God's love in Christ, as believers, we can respond to that love. And Jesus teaches through the Apostle John, if you love me, if as someone who has been brought to faith by the Holy Spirit and given the power to love me, if you do that, you'll obey my teaching. And my Father will love you and will come to you and make his home with you. In other words, what Jesus is teaching here is there's a cycle that begins. And the first step is always with God. By sending his son Jesus to be our savior and his Holy Spirit to be the one who draws us into faith. But he says on the second part of the cycle, after God has blessed us, 
Now, we in return can cycle back up through loving him in return and praising him for his blessings, especially of faith and of Christ. And then he in turn will come to us and love us and make his home for us, his home with us. It makes me think of the baptism we have in first service. Beautiful couple, young couple, their first child. And they are just starting out, really, beginning to build a family. And, and it's going to take time to build that family, to continue to build that love. And that's what I hear, that's what I hear Jesus saying to, to you and me, is we're on a journey here. And we're going to pass through that cycle many, many times on our faith journey where we receive God's love and grace and blessings and where in turn we praise him and love him and then he, he uh, comes back and, and loves and, and blesses us more. And as we pass through that cycle many, many times, just like an earthly family, family and connection is built. So in that sense, again, in that context... Those who love Jesus will obey his teaching and then in turn, God will build us into, our fam- into his family and, and, and make his home with us. Finally, here's another one that many of you if, you, if you have heard the commandments, because this is an actual commandment, the fourth commandment to be exactly, maybe you might have heard this. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. And, and so he's saying, if you help yourself by being respectful to your parents, then God will help you. How? Finish it. Let's do it together. Verse 3 together. So that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Paul calls it the first commandment with a promise. That if you are respectful and obedient to your parents... You will help yourself to put yourself in a position to be blessed by God and enjoy long life on the earth. So here's here's your filling. In the context of grace upon grace, at least five layers of grace, God does reward my faithful obedience according to his will and timing. So that's one way in which I guess we could say this is Somewhat true that God helps them who help themselves. And there is a second way. Let's look at James chapter 5, verse 15. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. Now, when you study that passage, what, what does that make you think? If you're sick, what should you do? Pray, right? And many other people would say, and only do that. Don't go to the doctor. If you pray and then go to the doctor, that's showing that you're not really trusting God to take care of you and heal you. So just let God do it all. Pray and just lay there on your bed sick. And I'm going to tell you that that is not at all what the Bible teaches. Not at all. In fact, if we look at the next verse, we can be clear on that. Take a look at what it says in 2 Thessalonians 3.10. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. 
So let's take it to a different area, not being sick, but praying about having something to eat. What, what does Jesus teach in the Lord's Prayer? Give me today my daily bread. And again, someone could say, yeah, just pray and wait and God will give you your daily bread. But what does Paul say here? The way God is going to give you your daily bread is by giving you gifts, abilities, and talents and energy and purpose in life to work. And then through your work, you're going to be given a paycheck. And and through that paycheck, you're going to be given meals. So in this sense too, in a very practical sense, God uses natural means to answer his prayer, the prayers that we pray to him. In the medical case, is, is it really not God working if I have a headache and I pray and I, and I say, God, please take this headache away and then I take two Advil or two aspirin? Who, who gave the Advil? Who gave the aspirin? Is that not also God's creation and God's blessing? So, so the answer here is that it can be true that God helps those who help themselves in this sense that you may be the answer to your own prayer. In other words, if you pray, God, take away this headache or God, take away this illness, you may need to go to the doctor and, and get an expert on it and get the right medicine and the right therapy, all actions which you will need to take And then God will provide the healing through your doctor and through that medicine and through that therapy. You may pray, God, give me my daily bread, but God may give you a job that is the answer to that. And if you don't go to work, as Paul says here, well, then you may be creating a situation where God is not going to answer that prayer until you get back to work. So here's what I want you to write down. In a practical sense... God frequently uses natural means to answer my prayers for help. But, and this is where I really uh, want you to hone in because this is how we frame up our relationship to God. This is where it really gets critical. Is this statement sometimes false? And the answer to that is Absolutely, it is frequently false. I want to read a passage from Isaiah chapter 25, verse 4. You have been a refuge for the, circle that word, a refuge for the needy in their distress. Literally, that word means in their tight situation, when they feel squeezed. You ever been in a tight situation like that where you feel squeezed? Last night on television, there was a story about the collapse of the bonfire at Texas A&M more than a decade ago. And there were, there were people at the bottom of this. When you think bonfire, if you know about the Texas A&M bonfire, don't, don't think about a camping bonfire. Think about a three-story building of firewood. 
And that whole thing collapsed. And I've always been personally connected to that because my own oldest son went to Texas A&M and the year previous to this, he had been part of building that bonfire. One year later, it collapsed. And there were people buried under the weight of, of all that wood. That's what this means. When you are just buried and squeezed, God is your refuge, a shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat. For the breath of the ruthless is like a storm driving against a wall. I want to give you a little background to this passage from Isaiah. Isaiah is writing this to the Israelites, helping them realize, look, folks, I want you to go back to when our enemies were oppressing us. And by the way, this was not distant memories. These were current memories. And, and the enemies of Israel were ruthless. Uh, one of them, for example, was Nineveh, it was this city. And if you recall, God sent Jonah to Nineveh to preach to them and to get them to convert, and they did through Jonah's preaching and teaching. And so God did two amazing things in that moment. First of all, he took people, the Ninevites, who were not just helpless to believe, but they were actively opposed to believing in God. Maybe some of you are, are in that, and you're, you're in this auditorium today, and you're like, I don't just feel helpless to believe in Jesus Christ. I am actively opposed to believing in Jesus Christ. I don't, I don't want to hear about God. I don't like the idea of God. I wish people would stop talking about God. And the only reason I'm here is someone dragged me here. God sent a messenger of the gospel to the Ninevites who were helpless to believe because they were so against God, and he converted them. Furthermore, in doing that, he helped the helpless Israelites who were constantly being attacked and got them out of their squeezed situation. And God still does that. Maybe some of you, I, I, I know some of you, because I read the prayer requests, are in a squeeze, you feel under a, a, a pile of circumstances, and you feel things are out of control, that, that you are drowning in this situation, that there is, there is nothing that you can do. You feel truly helpless and overwhelmed. And you wonder, will God help me? And this passage promises you not only that God can, but that God will help you. God is still a refuge for the poor. God is still a refuge for the needy in their distress, a shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat, from your heat and from your storm, whatever it might be in life right now. Is it health? Is it marriage? Is it raising your kids? Is it your job? Is it your financial situation? Whatever it is, whatever set of circumstances that might be, God is your refuge and your shelter and your shade. Write this down. How is this statement false? First, God loves, he loves to help those who can't help themselves. So if you feel helpless right now, if you feel buried, if you feel squeezed, know that God, your God, loves these situations because he knows that he can help you, rescue you, and that he will be glorified so that others 
can come to know him and his love too. But there's something else that goes beyond your individual circumstances. There's a a helplessness that is really part of all of us in all of our lives. And, And Paul talks about it when he talks to the Romans, and it has to do with our spirit, our spiritual helplessness. Notice what Paul says in Romans 3.10. As it is written, there is no one righteous. See those next three words? Not even one. No one seated in this room apart from God and Christ can say, I'm a good man before God. I'm a good woman before God because there's no one righteous apart from Christ. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They've together become worthless. There is no one who does good. Read these last three words with me. There is no one who does good, not even one. You see, this isn't about circumstances, is it? This is about all of us whatever circumstances we're in. That sin has separated us from God. We have to understand sin here. When I say sin has separated us from God, I want you to not just think about sinful actions or sinful words. Those are symptoms. What sin is, is our attitude toward God. Our heart toward God. And the Bible teaches us that from conception... Our heart is rebellious toward God, and by nature, we're either afraid of God or we're angry at God. And and what, what is most of our response when we're afraid of or angry with someone? I don't know about you. If I'm afraid of someone, I either want to fight them or I want to run away from them, depending on how powerful I think they are. And if I'm angry with them, Again, I want to fight them or I want to give them the cold shoulder. So I'm either, in both cases, going to buck up against them to protect myself if I'm afraid, to to just relentlessly show my anger if I'm upset, or I'm going to avoid them entirely. And that is our natural disposition toward God from conception. That's why Paul says what he says here. There's no one righteous. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. And we're all in the same boat because there's not even one person who, apart from Jesus Christ, has a relationship with God. That's why it's so important to understand God is always the first mover. God always takes the first step. And he does it when we don't deserve it, when we haven't earned it. He does it Only and always because he loves us. He loves us. He loves you. And it's his love and because he is God that causes him to say, I'm going to sacrifice my one and only son. I'm going to give up Jesus Christ for these people so that they, through faith, can redevelop a connection with me, have their sins forgiven, have their guilt and shame taken away. Here's why this is so important for you to hear this. 500 years ago, there was a guy named Martin Luther. And and 
this man under God started a movement. And it was a movement that transformed Christianity. It was a movement that in the end transformed the world. And we're about to embark on October 31st. There's going to be a year-long celebration for 500 years of this transformation that happened. And it started with what's called the Reformation. And that was followed up with something that happened in our world called the Renaissance. All of culture was changed. And all of this came back to one question that Luther asked himself. You know what that question was? Where can I find a gracious God? Now, people will tell you, experts will tell you, in our world today, most people don't ask that question, where can I find a gracious God? But I'm, I'm going to tell you, I, I think that we do ask that. Maybe not as loudly or as blatantly or as openly. The experts will say the reason we don't ask that is we don't feel as guilty as people used to feel in 500 years ago in Luther's day. But I'm going to say to you, I believe we all feel just as guilty and burdened and ashamed of ourselves for the hurts we've caused others and for our disobedience toward God. I believe that we've just gotten 500 years better at hiding it and pretending like we don't feel it, but it's there. And I believe that question, where can I find a gracious God, is just as relevant today as it ever was. And I hope today's sermon has you asking, where can I find a gracious God? Fill this in, and then I'm going to give you the answer to that question. Second, there is no one who can help themselves spiritually in God's sight. We are all helpless to do good. And once you come to that realization, if you believe this is true, I'm helpless to help myself in God's sight spiritually. I'm helpless to do good. When you, if you get there, the only question you're going to ask is, where can I find a gracious God? And beautifully, the Bible answers that for us. You see at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. You find a gracious God in relationship with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Notice what it says in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for it is by grace you have been saved. Grace is undeserved love. Grace is love where God always takes the first step where God says, I want to help you, especially when you can't help yourself. It's impossible for you to help yourself. That's what grace is. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith in Jesus Christ. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Write this in. Here's the answer. Where can I find a gracious God? Christ Christ has helped us who are powerless by grace alone, by his undeserved love. You are forgiven, you are redeemed, you are loved with an unconditional love. Please go home this week knowing that beyond any shadow of a doubt. Have you heard of Bono? You heard of his band? Anyone know his band? You too? No? Maybe it's because I'm so old. 
Do you know that Bono is a Christian? Do you know that he grew up in a Christian home, but that his, he, he grew up in Dublin, in Ireland. One parent was Roman Catholic, the other parent was Protestant. Now, can you imagine in Ireland growing up in that home? What happened in his spiritual formation as a young person is he learned to frame up his relationship with God as, I have to do something first, then God will do something second. I have to help myself for God to help me. I believe that there are some people in this room right now who have learned to frame up their relationship with God that way. They've learned that this is what Christianity is, that you move first in some way, and then God will move to love you. And what we learned today is that is not the case. Bono learned it. And he has a beautiful song, by the way. I encourage you to look it up. It's called Grace. And he says today that when I learned about grace, when I learned that God loves me unconditionally and always makes the first move, always takes the first step to bring me into relationship with him, that changed everything for me. I don't credit who I am as a Christian today, Bono says. What I learned growing up as a child, I credit it with studying the gospel and learning that I am saved by grace alone. I pray that today's message will help you frame your relationship and all relationships with God as being the person who responds to God's first love for you. And and that you know that even when you are spiritually helpless, that your God loves you so much and he loves to help the helpless. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, How great to know that you can help those who can't help themselves. That you do help those who can't help themselves. Lord, I I pray that as we move out of this message today, people in this room have, have, have truly heard that you love to help the helpless, the weak, those who are in squeezed situations, but especially those who because of sin have been distanced eternally from you. Lord, forgive us for our sins through the blood of Jesus Christ and thank you for always loving us first, always taking the first step. And Lord, help us to to learn to change that phrase to the Lord helps those who can't help themselves. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, head over to crosswalkphoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline on Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Visit our website for directions. And now, some closing thoughts from Pastor Jeff. Grace always starts a revolution. And whether it's Luther 500 years ago starting a revolution that we call the Reformation and followed up by the Renaissance by grasping the concept and spreading the concept of grace, or whether it's Bono with a little individual revolution in his own heart and soul, grace starts revolutions. 
And that's why we as a church want to come together uh, to share the gospel of God's grace in Jesus Christ with this community in this city. And I want to thank you for joining me in, in spreading that revolution of grace. Let me send you out with the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with his favor and give you his peace. Amen.